Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes, click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crew at UGA podcast. I'm Kyler, a full-time staff member with Crew. With me again today for our Tuesday episode is Alan. It is great to be back. It feels like we were just here. It really does. <laughs> this is a quick turnaround from the last episode we did. But I'm glad we did it. You know, that, that last episode was kind of a bonus for us. But, man, for me, I know looking at Psalm 146 was just really great. And I really hope it was great and helpful for our listeners, too. Yeah, I enjoyed doing that. And um, if you haven't listened to that little bitty politics podcast feel free to pop back and give it a listen because i think it was uh i think it's really necessary considering the season we're in yeah absolutely uh, but today on the podcast we're going to be jumping right back into our series in acts and so we've done three episodes in acts so far and today we're going to be picking up with acts chapter 20 but as we like to do with these episodes before we get started let's get caught up a little bit on what's been going on in the story And so in chapters 18 and 19, what I think is just super cool to point out here is that God is still directing Paul in all of his efforts. Paul isn't going rogue here. You know, he doesn't just pick up a dart and throw it at a map and say, where do I go today? But instead, like God is leading Paul through his spirit. He is speaking to him and he is telling him exactly where he should go and what he should be doing as a minister of the gospel. And I think what's cool here is as we see God leading Paul two things are happening everywhere Paul goes. The first thing, people, they're responding to the gospel message. And then the second thing is that Paul and the apostles and the church, they're really all experiencing a ton of opposition and hardship in their journeys. Yeah, and that's a perfect summary for where we're going to focus today. And especially, I think those of you reading along in Acts, you saw that happen in Ephesus. They really spent a long period of the narrative in the city of Ephesus where there was a big riot basically on account of Paul and what he was doing. And it's really interesting. The riot that they describe in there didn't really happen because of the gospel itself. It happened because there was a group of merchants that made a lot of money off the trade in idols, silversmiths. And with people coming to Christ and realizing the idols weren't God, they started to lose money. And isn't that an interesting picture of sometimes why we face opposition? Mm. It's not necessarily always theological or religious. Sometimes it's just as basic as somebody's pocketbook and changing the status quo. Right. It's interesting, you know, in that story where Paul goes through and, and the silversmiths are kind of incited to riot, and they incite the whole town to riot, and they... They go to that big amphitheater in Ephesus, and it says they literally sit in this amphitheater and chant mm. for hours right. and have this this big uproar. I've actually stood in that amphitheater, wow. that same trip that I talked about, about Athens. We yeah. went to Ephesus. Ephesus, the ruins are still there. You can tour mm. them. A lot of tourists go there all the time, and you can actually stand in that huge amphitheater and imagine the people um, sitting there. Um, it was really amazing. Like You go through Ephesus, and there's this broad boulevard that goes down the middle of the city and as I was walking there I just I would turn to my wife Karen and say the apostle Paul 
probably walked right down this boulevard Man. where we're going today. And then one of the places you can go in is like a restored nobleman's house. Yeah. Or um, a well-to-do family that would have a very large common room, which was something that was uncommon. And to think that, okay, this is where people would gather. This is the kind of room Paul might have preached in and people would gather around and Paul could have stood in this room. And then another place we went as we crossed the street, we walked in and the little signs explained what it was. It was a public bathroom and there were all these little stalls. And Karen looked at me and said, don't even say it. Right. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. That's awesome. Anyway, Ephesus was really cool. So in this story, when we're going to pick it up in chapter 19 and 20, the reason we want to point out Ephesus is Paul is going to speak to a group of people, which are the elders of the Ephesian church, which he planted there. And so we're going to pick it up. Um, I'm just going to read one verse from 19 that talks about what happened after Ephesus. And just as a summary verse, it said, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now, Kyler, how about you pick it up uh, in Acts chapter 20. This is along the journey as he's going back toward Jerusalem. We're going to pick it up where he sends for the Ephesian elders and meets with them. All right. So yeah, so this is Acts 20, uh, starting at 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church there to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Gentiles of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And now I'm going to skip down to verse 36. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Okay. Now that's when he's meeting with the Ephesian elders as he's on this journey back toward Jerusalem. Now I'm going to read one more section from the next chapter in chapter 21, starting in verse 3, just because I want you to see another picture of a meeting with a group of people. So verse 3 says, When we had come in sight of Cyprus... Leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. So we have read some scenes from these couple of chapters that 
let's be honest, if you were listening to a sermon series on Acts at your church or going through a Bible study, these are probably not the chapters they would teach. Right. It's a bunch of travel. <laughs> exactly. So unless you're a travel agent. Right. <laughs> and I know I'm hype on my Mediterranean cruise vacation photos, yeah. but no, I'm not going to show all these photos. There's a reason that we pick these sections in right. that because we don't actually look at these sections very much, we thought we would. But there's, there's another reason that we decided we were going to pull these out. I'm just going to share two main thoughts and expand on them. And maybe as you're reading along with Acts, you've seen these. <clears throat> maybe you haven't. But I'm just going to pick out two of the ones that we could comment on. And one of the reasons we, we use these passages is this one. And that first main thought is, I want us to observe that the church is where the Spirit creates community. Hmm. And I think you see this in a couple of places that we just read, even though it's not usually talked about in Acts. And I wanted to show that on purpose. First, as we read that scene with the Ephesian elders, how many of you felt the intensity of the parting with those men? You see, in this scene, Paul calls them down to the coast so he doesn't have to stay long in town. And he says goodbye to them, and he gives them a long speech we read part of, and he puts the blessing of God on them and says, I won't ever see you again. And what happens? Mm -hmm. They weep. They embrace him. They kiss him. They're heartbroken. They grieve over him, right? Right. This is no mere working relationship, Mm. right? This is not just a convention somewhere where all the church delegates gather together for a few days. Mm. Second... In the section I just read, at Tyre, which is an island in the Mediterranean, you see it again. Here's Paul, the traveling evangelist, who is dear to these people. So dear is he to the members of this church. They accompany him out of the city all the way down to the shore to get on the ship. And then they kneel on the beach and they pray over him. And now there may be a cultural expectation In some cultures, you are supposed to accompany your guests past the door and all the way till they leave or something like that. But honestly, how many of us listening would like to have people who loved us so much they would follow us all the way down to the beach mm. and kneel and pray over us without letting us go? Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of like somebody following you, not just dropping you off at the airport, but going through security and going all the way down to the very gate of the plane and grabbing you and saying, let's pray on you before you go down the walkway. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. this idea. They're so loath to let him go because mm. they care for him so much. Right. Now, I see a depth of community there that is often not commented on. In Acts, it seems very often it's all about mission, which a lot of it is. It's a book that describes the deeds of the evangelists and the apostles, church growth, etc. But there's so much depth Hmm. that's happening as that mission goes out. Lives get changed, and there's this love that blooms in people and gets created as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? You see it all the time. Churches are giving money for other churches, people they've never met in different countries, different nationalities. People just have their lives knit together. Leaders who don't see each other love one another deeply. Mm. And this just goes on and on. This is what these passages are describing, right? Clearly, church life is about more than mission, and church life offers more than mission. It is this depth, I think, that stands out in these passages. And I think we should pay attention to that and not brush over it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we read the story, you know, it goes from chapter one chapter to the next and next, and it's easy just to read really fast. But even when I was reading it this past week, Paul would spend 
two years, six months right. at these locations. Of course they're building relationships. It's not some mission goal-oriented thing the entire time. He's spending time with them, developing a relationship with them. So I think that's awesome to point out. Yeah, so that's one of the things that we just wanted to show today. If this study in Acts just seems all like, and go witness to this people and go witness to that people, there is more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. There really is. The second main thought that I want to expand on does return to that idea of mission. And it's a little different than we've noticed before. But I want to talk a little bit about Paul's decision to go to Jerusalem and what it reveals. Okay. Now, in that very first verse that we read early on, it said, After these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. Or another version says, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. It's really a pretty simple statement um, that he offers up there. What does that show? Well, here's what it shows. Later on, you see something different. Later on, Paul says he was compelled by the Spirit Mm. to go to Jerusalem, right? There's also a third factor that's at work here besides Paul just deciding and then this compulsion of the Spirit, and that is wise counsel because it's very interesting, the people's response that you see to that. And then lastly, there's suffering that faith sometimes necessitates. Now, to dive into this section, let's return to something we talked about in our very first Acts episode. Mm. And this is kind of a seminary Bible interpretation idea called descriptive versus prescriptive. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about what that means. Whenever you study the Bible, there are different genres at work. Now, if we study the epistles later in the New Testament, those are letters that Paul wrote or somebody wrote to a church, usually a group of people or to one person. And they can be pretty direct, and they can just list commands and teaching, such like that. Mm -hmm. But then you also have sections of the New Testament that are stories. The Gospels are narratives. Acts is a story or a narrative, right? And sometimes these stories that are preserved for us are descriptive, and sometimes they're prescriptive. Now, what I mean by that is, is pretty simple if you think about it. If it's descriptive, it simply is describing what happened. Right. It's simply telling a story. It's just letting us know this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Mm-hmm. And it's really just supposed to tell us that. Now, we might need to think about that and why they happened and the things that were going on, but really it's just telling the actions. On the other hand, there are parts of Scripture that are prescriptive. In other words, they tell us what we should do. Mm-hmm. Like a prescription from the doctor tells us we should take this medicine. These are prescriptive passages. Often... When we look at, say, an epistle or we look at Jesus' teaching in the gospel, it's very prescriptive. It tells us we should believe this, we should do this. Sometimes in a historical narrative, what we see is prescriptive. We see them acting out a principle that is always true. Hmm. But then other times it's simply descriptive. It's not really telling us, oh, you should do this all the time. It's just saying they did that at that time. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great distinction to make, for sure. Right. So we have to be careful how we approach a book of a narrative or story like Acts. Mm. And we can't claim too much when we interpret by example. Now, this is one of those places. And let me talk about something in this that kind of bears that out. There's an idea at work here that I hear students talk about a lot. And I think clarity here would be really practical, especially in the life of a college student. Mm. And that's the idea of being led by the Spirit. Yeah. Okay. Now... let's say from the very beginning, being led by the Spirit is a real thing. God is real. 
He is a person. He is a being. He acts. He speaks. He communicates. This is part of having a relationship with God. There really is a God out there who interacts with us. He's not just a concept. He's not just an idea, right? Yeah. However, understanding being led by the Spirit or even being led by the Spirit, I think, is something that also involves maturity and wisdom, mm. okay? Because often it can be a subjective experience or, or more feeling-oriented um, or more personal, right? Yeah. And so it's important that when doing this, a person approaches it with maturity and wisdom. It's notable to me that often the people I meet who most want to base their decisions on subjective leading are typically the people who are youngest in their faith. Hmm. In other words, not those who have walked with God for a lifetime and learned to hear their master's voice. Hmm. Indeed, it's the youngest in faith actually who should be objectively seeking to hear the voice of God in Scripture and yet they're the ones who typically want to go most subjective. Hmm. So when it comes to this idea of being led in the Spirit, some people might read a passage like this in Acts, and they would too simplistically say, See, Paul says the Spirit is moving me to do this, so that's the way all decisions should be made. Well, are we being descriptive or prescriptive here? You see, this is one of those areas, it's more nuanced than that, hmm. right? There are times we are led by the Spirit. There are times we should heed wise counsel. We always make decisions in line with the teaching of Scripture, as God's word made more sure, as Peter calls it. Hmm. And so this idea is something that we need to be careful with. So when it comes to being led by the Spirit, there's kind of a practical piece of advice, and we may talk about this a little more, but it it's kind of shows itself right here. And that is the idea that we don't want to be closed off to the idea of being led by the Spirit, but at the same time, we don't want to be so immature or subjective in it that we claim all kinds of wild things on the basis of some feeling that we might have, especially if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Mm. God is not going to contradict himself. The Spirit is not going to say something in Scripture and say something different to you. Yeah. And so this passage is not necessarily a model to the way every decision should be made, but it does show mature believers can interact with the Lord in these ways. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really good. We see the nuance there, right? Right. Okay. Let's continue on this. Here's my last thought <clears throat> as far as this main section. Regardless of the way Paul makes these decisions, there's one thing very clear, and that is Paul's understanding that in following God, there will be hardship and suffering. Hmm. That is not negotiable. Now, we have seen that said in the passages above where Paul said he had to go to Jerusalem and people were pleading to him, don't go there, you're going to suffer. But actually, it gets even more intense. In Acts 21, starting in verse 10, there's this story that as Acts moves along, he stops in one place and it says, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, now this is Luke speaking and writing this, so he says, when we heard this, being part of the party, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Here's how Paul answers. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus 
And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready, and what did they do? They went up to Jerusalem. Hmm. Here you have a prophet comes down and led by the Spirit. He says to Paul, when you go to Jerusalem, this is how you're going to be treated. You are going to be bound and in prison. And this doesn't even influence Paul and stop him from going. Hmm. Why? That's the question I, I always think of when I look at this passage. All these godly believers right. are even led by the Spirit, and they're telling Paul, Paul, you're going to suffer in Jerusalem. You shouldn't go. Yeah. But Paul still goes. Hmm. I think the answer is found in the section we read at the beginning in Acts 20, which is the main heart of the passage we're in today. And this is verses 22 through 24. Let's read them again. It says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, and this is the key verse, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Wow. And there it is. That's the keystone of our passage today. I consider my own life worth nothing if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. This is what Paul and really all of us are called to do, right? But did you notice something? This is exactly what the Christians around him kept urging Paul not to do. Right. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so here we see this interaction that even though Paul is warned by godly people, you are going to suffer, he says, I know. The Holy Spirit warns me that every city I go to, this happens. And that's exactly what you said at the beginning. As we were reading through all these, two things are happening. People are responding to the gospel, and there's opposition everywhere Paul goes. Paul says it right here himself. In every city I go to, the Holy Spirit warns me prison and hardships are facing me. But you know what? That doesn't stop him from going. Hardship and suffering is part of God's call on the Christian life and was specifically part of God's call on Paul in his apostleship. Yeah. Wow, and that's really good. And so let's let's maybe tease that out a little bit more. So we've seen all this travel and these interactions between Paul and others, but what are some takeaways for us as as we do encounter a text like this and a story like this? What are some takeaways for us here? Yeah, so let's say, okay, well, what what is prescriptive? What could we take from this that we might need to live out and emulate? Yeah. I got three things. There's there's probably more, but here's here's a couple. First one, I would say sometimes even though the urgings of other believers are well-intentioned, they disagree with the ultimate will of God, mm. right? Now, again, nuance. It is true. Wise counsel is one way to determine the will of God, but it's not always the final answer. Sometimes the will of God and the sentiments of people can contradict. And this was simply the case for Paul, who needed to go to Jerusalem and to be bound, for it was God's will that he go to Rome, and this is how he was going there. Now, the believers, of course, they didn't know and understand this yet. They loved Paul. And of course, they didn't want to see him suffer. None of that would make sense. They're not sadists or yeah. masochists, right? right? In this case, Paul had to put off the sentiments of those around him who loved him and follow God's will. And, you know, we, we get this all the time. I mean, this is, this is normal, and it's, there's nothing wrong about it. Right. 
unless it's motivated by lack of faith. You know, family members urge us to stay home and not go to the mission field, even if it's for a summer, because they love us. Or church members urge us to stay home because, you know, there's quote-unquote plenty of lost people here who need to be saved. Or maybe there's a point in your life the Lord may instruct some of you to give away a large amount of money. And a lot of you Georgia students are going to end up with a large amount of money. Well, you better believe there will be family members who think that's crazy, hmm. especially if they might have a chance to spend some of that money instead. <laughs> right. I mean, we're all like that, right? Yeah. You know, for some of us, even the choice to be a, a believer, to be a Christian and follow Jesus, sometimes even our Christian family members will offer hindrance to that if they think we're being too radical. Hmm. You know, these brothers and sisters, they genuinely care about us, but that doesn't mean their advice is necessarily always in agreement with God's will. And so even when people speak out of love, that doesn't necessarily make it the right course. Obviously, that should be accepted graciously and lovingly, but we should not be dissuaded if we know God's will is different. Look, even Peter said Jesus shouldn't go to the cross and said, Lord, may it never be. And Jesus said to his own disciple, get thee behind me, Satan. Right. It's nuanced. There's, mm-hmm. there's some nuance here. Yeah. When deciding the will of God... Seek to separate counsel from sentiment. Is the counsel we're receiving based on emotional affection, or is it objective or just subjective? Is it in tune with God's reasoning, or is it more in tune with human wishes and worldliness? Are people counseling us for their own emotional desires or for ours? These are all great questions that we should ask, right? My own daughter, Elizabeth, lives in Central Asia and teaches at an international school there. And I remember years ago, even though I myself lived overseas for years as a missionary, she came to her mom and I and said, yeah, I'm going to choose to move over to Central Asia and teach at this school. And of course, my thought was, where do you get all these crazy... Oh. (laughs) Got it from you, Dad. But of course, you know, being the parent who doesn't want to see his kid go far away, even though I did it to my own parents... Mm. I wanted to say, well, now let's think through this. Are, are you really hearing the Lord in this? Are you thinking wisely about your choice? And then she said, Dad, I really want to go because I know how important it was for me that international school teachers played such a large role in my growth. And I want to be in a long-term relationship with missionary kids so that their families will have longevity on the field and can serve the Lord there longer. And I said, yes, right. you should do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what could I say right. about that? that that's clearly in tune with God's reasoning. That's clearly in tune with the heart of God in Scripture. And it's not in tune with my heart as a right. dad. Yeah. See, these kinds of questions, those kind of practical questions, will help us wade through conflicting counsel. Mm. Right. It's really good. Yeah. Here's the second one. Just because a certain path will result in suffering does not mean it isn't God's will. Let me say that again. Just because a certain path will result in suffering does not mean it isn't God's will, Mm. right? Look, I I know, I hear people all the time, especially students, talk about closed doors and open doors. God's will is not necessarily dictated by these things. And suffering is not necessarily a determinant of whether a course should or should not be pursued. Because sometimes God calls us to suffer, Mm for his glory, as he did Paul. Uh, And Paul, in this story, he knew that suffering was part and parcel of the Christian life. Paul understood that danger and suffering were just basic. It's just a basic part of being a Christian in this world. And therefore, there was no reason to be hesitant about any Christian entering into it. Mm. And Paul expresses this in lots of places in the New Testament. For example, 
2 Timothy 3.12, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Wow. Right? Yeah. Peter says the same thing. He knew this perspective. When, when Christians were being burned alive in Nero's gardens in the late first century, he wrote to them, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice in that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Mm. So you see, if we really listen to the New Testament writers, we have to put away this idea that suffering is not normal or that if I suffer, something's wrong with me. Mm. It's just not true. That's not biblical. It is normal. As a matter of fact, they say... If you're not suffering, it's probably abnormal. Hmm. It is to be expected for every Christian, though, of course, it's not to be sought. We don't have to chase it. It'll find us. Yeah. But it's it's normal, Hmm. right? Yeah. Let me give you one more. Here's a third practical takeaway that I would say we could make from this passage. We should be ready to suffer and die for Christ without reservation if it is God's will. Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble. Lots of parents are going to be calling me now and be like, like no, I'm not supposed to say that to crew students. I'm sorry. It's in the Bible, so I, I just have to say it. We should be ready to suffer and die for Christ without reservation if it is God's will. This applies to me, applies to you, applies right. to everybody. Ooh, Paul holds us up to a high challenge, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. yeah right in these does. passages. Are we ready to suffer and die for our Lord? Hmm. Are we truly his? bought with a price, considering our life is his. If we are, we will not fear where God's call takes us. In Acts 20, 24, Paul expresses that same thing. I consider my life as nothing if only I may finish the race Mm. and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Mm. That should be us, right? You know, I'll close with this. I was reading a post the other day in which a Chinese believer was being quoted, for those of you who don't know. The nation of China right now, um, the past few years, there has been an intense persecution under the leader, Xi Jinping. And the church has been suffering. Uh, Pastors have been in prison. We have church members and pastors just disappearing. They're tearing down church buildings, even in places where the government never dared to go before. And this interviewer was talking to this Chinese believer, a Chinese pastor, and was, was asking, how can we pray for you and for China? Is the persecution too intense for the church? The Chinese believer responded in a very surprising way. He said, basically, no, we're not worried about the persecution. We can deal with that. We've always been a church in persecution. If it's God's will, then so be it. What he answered was, please pray for the hearts of the Chinese people because they are being hardened by the love of money. Mm. That was how he answered He said the window of revival is closing because hearts are closing. And that is what is the church's greatest burden right now. We don't want to see our people lost. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. How are you able to say something like that? How do you answer that way? It's because as a believer in Christ, that man knew what it meant to be ready to suffer and die for Christ without reservation, Mm. if it's God's will. Hard as it is, that's a message that Scripture speaks to us. Wow, Alan, that is uh, that's all really good, and it's all really heavy. You know, it 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 sits differently. You know, we come across passages like this, especially in Acts, 
I think the Holy Spirit's leading us to to pause and reflect and really think about this more for our own lives. And so, so yeah, and I think that's another reason why we wanted to go through the book of Acts because we didn't want to just skate by these kind of concepts that are true and in the Bible and that do have application on our life. So, so thanks. Thanks for leading us through that and, and drawing out some of these questions. Uh, I know for me, um, I feel a little lost for words uh, and just hmm. I want to be sensitive to how the Spirit's you know, calling me to respond to this. That's so, right. So thanks for that, Al. Sure.